0: This Breaking Views podcast is sponsored by Refinitiv. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to the Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. This week, we'll discuss one quasi-exit and another dramatic arrival. First, Jeff Bezos, the bazillionaire founder of Amazon.com, decided to step down as chief executive officer of the $1.7 trillion company and hand the baton to Andy Jassy. As my colleague Jennifer Sebo explains, it's not quite the end of an era, though. First, Bezos will continue as executive chairman, and he still owns more than a tenth of the company. So while he may not have a veto over the board of directors, let's just say he'll have a lot of influence over Amazon's direction. But it's a big promotion for Jassy, who has been at Amazon for decades and latterly running AWS, the web services business that punches way above its weight in terms of growth and most importantly, profitability inside the company. From Seattle, we head all the way across the Atlantic to Rome where Mario Draghi has been summoned by the Italian president to succeed Giuseppe Conte as prime minister. Super Mario, as many call him for effectively saving Europe's single currency nine years ago when he was at the head of the European Central Bank, is the right guy for the task, says our Milan-based columnist Lisa Yuka. Mr. Whatever-it-takes has the credibility both at home, in Brussels, and in the markets to see the country through the pandemic, the mass vaccination stage, and crucially to help ensure that some $200 billion of recovery funds are usefully allocated in Italy. If he gets it right, Lisa says, Mario may even be able to add a new title to his resume, Presidente de la Repubblica. Give a listen. Jen Seba, big, big announcement this week out of Seattle. Jeff Bezos will no longer be the chief executive officer of Amazon, the $1.7-plus trillion trillion dollar company that he founded. He's handing over the reins to a guy named Andy Jassy, who's been with him for a long time, I guess. Um, you've written uh, a piece or two on this. What, uh, is this the end of an era, or is this just sort of a, a sort of corporate governance fudge?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, so it's interesting, the title that he decided to um, – Take, which is executive chair, which suggests that he's going to be somewhat active in the company and um, you know guiding uh, Jassy, who is is going to be the CEO. So I mean, you know, of course you have to to think, you know, how do these things play out? We've had some we've had some examples of this, you know, and well, right other-
0: there in Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, right you in- look across the bay or whatever. The, you've got a, in Microsoft. Uh, you know, you had the founder. Bill Gates, hand he became chairman and handed the chief executive role to Steve Ballmer. Uh, How did that turn out?
1: Yeah, I mean, so that was, uh, you know, probably mixed, right? I mean, so Bill Gates, you know, hands it over to to Ballmer and Ballmer. I mean he goes on and makes a bunch of you know acquisitions including nokia which was you know it was was a terrible acquisition so you know his reign as ceo was sort of mixed and you know he he hung on for a really long time while bill gates was the chairman so that
0: was a trick question i knew the answer steve ballmer was a bit of a disaster wasn't he (laughs) (laughs) and even though bill bill gates was there in charge and know and holding a bunch of the stock and the chairman it wasn't until Satya Nadella, or really until our, you know, Jeff Ubbin and the, the activists sort of pushed out Balmer, who yeah. had done that tor- terrible deal you mentioned where they bought, um, what did they buy? They bought nope. Motorola, no, Nokia. Nokia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Nokia's telecoms business. Then, so then that's one example. I guess it's imperfect. Another example in Seattle, of course, are you drinking a, copy, a, a a cup of it right now? It looks like you might yeah, be drinking a cup Eddie. of it It's not, Star- okay. Well, <laughs> but Starbucks. So Starbucks, of course, was, you know, Howard Schultz was the charismatic founder, if you will, and bought it from the original founders, but really founded the company that we know as Starbucks. Um, took a break, came back, and then kind of handed over, and he's, I think he's chairman now still, right? He's, Aaron, so, uh,
1: er, er, uh, however you say that, like the honorary chairman.
0: Ah, um, chairman yeah. emeritus.
1: Yeah, emeritus, that's right.
0: So what is Andy Jassy, how is he going to manage if you've got this, you know, this giant gorilla as your chairman, who owns something like 14% of the stock, like $230 billion, whatever, one of the richest men on the planet, is he really going to be able to do anything without um, having to get Bezos to sign off?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's actually the, 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 the big question, right? It's like how much, the, and this is a delicate tap dance, if you will, to, to borrow Jeff, Bezos turn of phrase like Bezos is going to have to both you know guide him and also just kind of stay out of the way and let you know let uh, Andy Jassy do his thing and that's a complicated thing for a uh, man who founded a company you know the company 27 years ago and you know he's got to he's got to help him out but also like understand that it's it's a new era, so to speak, under this uh under this new CEO. So I think that's it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how that how that all plays out.
0: The stock is down, I see, today after the massive I'm not sure that means anything. The market is generally down. What do we know about Andy Jassy?
1: So he's he's a longtime uh, lieutenant of Jeff Bezos. He um you know, most recently was head of the AWS division, which has just done phenomenally well. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And so that sort of begs the question of, okay, where is Amazon going to be concentrating? Because he is, you know, from the AWS division, what does this mean? Does it mean that, you know, Does he, he certainly has been there long enough, but retail is still, you know, a huge part of their business. So, you know... It's going to be interesting to see what he does and, you know, the new initiatives they go after. And, you know, the other kind of thing out there is, you know, the regulators in Washington, which have been circling, you know, Amazon for a long time now. So he also has to navigate, um, you know, all of that, which is it's going to be it's going to be hard.
0: But the, now, now going back to AWS, which is the sort of web services division, which is kind of interesting. You, you all, this was announced. Uh, Jeff Bezos announced that he's stepping down as CEO at the same time that they released their their fourth quarter results. Right. Um, as you wrote in the piece, um, growth in that business, AWS, growth slowed to a to 28 percent, which yeah, right. not so bad. But not so bad. Let's be honest. You know, um, and but but it, it apparently accounted for half. the operating profits of amazon is that right
1: yeah it's 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 extraordinarily profitable for them uh you know obviously because the the retail thing is is you know they're grappling with the logistics they're grappling with shipping costs you know it's great that everybody's buying stuff online but then you've got to ramp up you've got to hire more workers you've got to get your warehouses in order you have to i mean again shipping costs went up 67 percent in the quarter that's Mm. huge (laughs) so You know, you see like there are big pieces of the business this guy is going to have to oversee. And, you know, I would argue that Amazon did phenomenally well during the pandemic, Um, but they're going to be coming up as, you know, lockdowns ease and the vaccines roll out. People are going to start spending money in restaurants and start traveling again. And they're not just going to be in front of their computers or on their phones buying a bunch of stuff. So
0: the revenge shopping, as I think people call it is is not the kind of thing you're going to do online (laughs) it is if you (laughs) you know you're going to go out and splurge by you know trying on a new pair of shoes or a hat or whatever it is i don't know does anybody buy hats anymore but you know what i mean like it's not it's not that you're right it's going to be more difficult but but this business just so phenomenally so phenomenally successful do you think though that jassy will be more likely than than not to break it up you know to split it off think paypal and and ebay for instance
1: no i think that's a that's a great question and and it's one that i would love to explore more because it it could be one of two things right it could mean that they're setting it up for a breakup right in case you know maybe they they give that to washington and say hey listen we're going to spin this off we're not going to be as big or it could mean like mark zuckerberg did with facebook he they could be pulling it in even closer. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, making it even more difficult to hive it off if need be. So I don't know, to be honest. I mean, he might you.
0: be more attached to the business, arguably, arguably. Right. Yeah. I suppose that'll depend a little bit on what the big shareholder, the right. chair- executive chairman wants done. What uh, regulators, as you pointed out in your piece and, and, and previously that, you know, there is a question mark about dominance in online retail that, Certainly only became more prominent as a result of the pandemic.
1: Right. And and the AWS piece doesn't really address that, right? That's not gonna, that's not gonna bring back all the small businesses that were, you know, put under because mm-hmm. of the pandemic and you know, and and Amazon getting stronger. So it'll be interesting to see what
0: happens. And like last question, WWJBD. What will Jeff Bezos do now with all of his extra time?
1: Well, I mean, so he said in his letter to employees, he wants to spend more time on his other projects, including, you know, his space outfit and um, and the Washington Post, which is now looking for a new editor. And so he has a lot of other things, you know, kind of cooking. Um, so it sounds like he's going to kind of concentrate on that, and at the same time, try and make sure he's around for big decisions that happened at Amazon. So, again, he's going to have to he's going to have to do a delicate tap dance.
0: Most people, when they when they step down from a main job, uh, they do it to you know spend more time um, with their family or to do you know fly fishing or something. Can you imagine? You get to spend more time with your spaceships and your newspaper. <laughs> That's not bad. Not a bad way to go. It's
1: not a bad way to go.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Jen, thanks so much. Um, Keep up the good work. Talk to you soon.
2: All right. Thanks.
0: Buongiorno, Lisa Yuka.
2: Buongiorno.
0: So you are in Milan watching things play out in Rome. Uh, Some pretty exciting news. Mario Draghi, who we all know as the uh, former head of the European Central Bank, has been dropped in, parachuted, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, bivouacked into uh, the role of potentially of prime minister of Italy by the president. Um, What's going on here? Why why is everybody so excited about Mario Draghi coming to the rescue?
2: So Mario Draghi is probably one of I mean, Italy's most high profile figures, if not the most high profile figure at the moment, you know, having been, as you said, the president of the ECB. Before that, he was the Bank of Italy governor. He was at the Treasury before that for a long time. I mean, he's really got, you know, a stellar career. Uh, he's an economist. I mean, is really well respected. And we are at a critical moment in Italy at the moment, because Italy has been, uh, Uh, basically there's there's 209 billion euros of EU funds which have been earmarked for Italy, but it's quite important to figure out a plan on how to spend well this amount of money, uh, which is, by the way, jointly backed by the European Union, you know, in quite a sort of uh, Hamiltonian moment, if you want. So to have a figure um, who basically can guarantee investors and EU partners that, Italy can really devise a plan to ride out of the pandemic crisis, I mean, is, is is quite exciting.
0: Yeah, it's really a big deal. So let's step back, though, for a second um, from the Hamiltonian moment, as you uh, call it in, in your piece today. Um it isn't just, of course, about the 209 billion that's coming through the recovery fund. It is also about just an in, input. There is a there is a governing crisis and this is now uh, uh, Giuseppe Conte was the prime minister had two terms, um, but it was the. It was how that money is being spent will be invested because it's sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity. That really was the um, the reason that we went into the crisis, though, isn't it? I mean, if you look back, it, it maybe just give us an, a little yes, bit of. A it, it was.
2: I mean, so to get a little bit of a flavor, up until now, Italy was well, up until now, between August two thousand and nineteen and where we are now, Italy has been ruled by a coalition. Um, which included, uh, for instance, the center-left PD party, but also the anti-establishment five-star movement, and, and some smaller parties like Italia Viva, which is a, a spin-off of the center-left, and, uh, and, and is led by former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi. So Matteo Renzi is the one who's engineered this uh, latest crisis, is the one who has been very vocal, about uh, you know this plan for EU funds not being ready, and uh, he basically withdrew support uh, uh, to Conte's government. I mean, leaving leaving him with no option but uh, to resign. Do respond. you think
0: this is what he wanted? Like, do you think Renzi is going? Oh, excellent! Now I have um, I have Mario Draghi in charge. Um, this is what I wanted. Or do you think like? I mean, I'm just curious as to not whether or not there was actually some other motive that was driving his his uh, precipitation of the crisis.
2: So Matteo Renzi is a politician, and if you want to take a cynical view, let's say of the latest development, you would say that his party, Italia Viva, was completely losing relevance. I mean, it was polling less than two percent a month ago. So you could say, well, this crisis that he has escalated, I mean, was a fight for survival, because suddenly all the attention was on Matteo Renzi, who has, you know, brought to the attention of a public opinion the problem of the EU funds, maybe not uh, uh, being used uh, correctly uh, in, in this plan that we were discussing. So, um suddenly he's on the front page of every newspaper and he's on tv every day so he and- looks
0: like a kingmaker. but of course at the end of the day let's be honest people aren't going to remember this as the renzi moment they will me- remember this as another moment for the mr whatever it takes mario draghi right and that's what we saw what, what the market response was suggests as much
2: yes. um yeah Obviously, uh, for investors, for EU countries, I mean, for anyone who wants, let's say, Italy to be successful and be part of this European project, Draghi comes in as a guarantee. But there are still challenges because at the moment, Draghi is just the prime minister designate. I mean, he still has to form a government and he still has to win support in the current Italian parliament, which is quite uh, divided in lots of different uh, factions. You know, not all of these people are are, are seeing him as such a savior. Also, the public opinion in Italy is a little bit split. Uh, Although Draghi is really well respected in let's say international circles. I mean, a lot of common people see him as a banker, as you know, I don't know Goldman Sachs uh, ambassador and and well he uh, did so
0: he did work at Goldman Sachs is the point you're making it in between a couple of those jobs but so so let so let's so he has to get through a majority of what does he actually have to receive before he can become anointed as the prime minister?
2: Yes, he has to win a majority in both houses of parliament. So a because- strict majority,
0: as in like 51 percent
2: absolute majority because otherwise yes. he won't be able to govern uh i mean he really has to to be able i mean i would say i mean apart from you know the numbers uh you, you he really needs like white support he almost need a government of national unity if you want because we are in this pandemic and so he also has to sort out the vaccination campaign he has to sort out the emergency i mean i don't think that uh, a, a government led by Draghi would be a a long government i mean i think it could last you know at best a year um but you know it would it would drive us through the 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 hardest part there are precedents
0: for this what was the last national unity government
2: So we had uh, Monti, of course, Mario Monti, Monti, you will remember that was at the peak of the Eurozone crisis, Berlusconi, who was in power, had to resign under pressure from the markets, really, who had lost confidence in his ability to manage the crisis, and Mario Monti, who had been a commissioner at the European Commission and also a professor, came in and brought in a full suite in a full group of technocrats to somehow save Italy, and you know, you you could say that initially he was successful. The problem is that some of the measures he took, um, you know, some of the austerity measures, if you want, um, became unpalatable for the broader public, and so he was booted out a year later. Well, your piece today
0: about Draghi suggested that one of the mis—I mean, I think I, I read into it—one of the mistakes of the Monti government was almost too technic- technocratic. Yes, and so you didn't have broader political support, which doomed it in the end. Do you have a sense of whether Draghi will learn from some of his predecessor's mistakes?
2: I don't have hard evidence, but I do think that Draghi is slightly more political, if you want, than Mario Monti was at the time. So I personally think that to have a greater chance of success and also win the buy-in of the parties, He may want to consider a political government. So if you go back to the example of Carlo Azzelio Ciampi, a former Bank of Italy governor who became prime minister, he was a technocrat, but he led a political government for a year at the time of the corruption crisis that we had in Italy, Tangentopoli in the 90s. Uh, So maybe that is a better example. I mean, Ciampi also went on to become president of the Italian Republic, and this is a path that uh, may suit Draghi after this attempt as prime minister.
0: Well, of course, one of the the other things you point out about Monti is, while he wasn't a politician, he did actually try to create a political party when he was uh, the prime minister, which may, I mean, in a sense, there was no, there was a a disincentive for the existing parties to work with him. And I don't think, we won't see that from, from Draghi, will we?
2: I would be very surprised also because, as I was mentioning, I think the big prize for Draghi um, would really be to become president of the Italian Republic. That is more than a ceremonial figure, because I mean, uh, it, it's a it's a figure that somehow protects the constitutions and would guarantee that EU remains a pro EU country in the eyes of uh, um, our partners. So, and that,
0: but that's and that's uh, Materella. What is his name? Sergio Materella is the president now.
2: Yes, he's his term
0: is up when.
2: Yeah, so um, as of July, I mean, we will have um, the last six months of this mandate, so he has got to go within a year. So within a year, we need to elect a new president, which normally needs a supermajority in parliament.
0: Right. OK, well, it's going to be exciting to watch. And the markets, what did they think of China, oh, they uh, loved uh, drag. they
2: loved drug. I mean, if you if you were watching uh, the stock market today, I mean, the Italian stock was up, you know, nearly three uh, percent. Of course, uh, the bond market was rallying with yields going down. The spread between the Italian BTPs and the boots was narrowing. So people absolutely because you see, Italy is the eurozone's problem child, still a high debt country, still a big economic crisis, and it's always a lingering doubt, you know, in people's mind whether they can pull. It together and still stick to the eurozone and the european union but you know draghi being such a a, a competent figure and obviously a, a staunch pro-eu figure uh, gives that reassurance to people outside italy
0: well great thank you lisa and Elie thank Grazie. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Karen Kwok in London and Amanda Gomez in New York and our producer, Freddie Joyner, also in New York. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. Arrivederci.